Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast, a show where I speak to architects who have found success in their business, marketing, and communications, as well as consultants and experts who will share their unique tips and strategies to help you attract your ideal clients. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, marketing consultant for architects, and if you'd benefit from professional advice and guidance on your marketing, you can head to vanityprojects.com to check out my coaching services and book in a free 30-minute consultation to discuss your situation. Today's episode is sponsored by Bowbird, and I'd like to thank Bowbird for jumping on board and supporting the show. I've known Nick and Ben, the founders, for years and seen their platform grow from this small startup in Melbourne to now being all over the world, with reach into China, the UK, Europe, and the US. If you've seen other architects and interior designers getting lots of media coverage all over the place and wondered, hey, how do they do that? There's a good chance they're using Bowbird, and that's because many of the best publications in the world source their content through Bowbird, like Wallpaper, Frame, Arc Daily, and many more. It's very easy to use as well. So if you've ever had a project professionally photographed, then you've got everything you need to get started. You just upload your project and start submitting it to your favorite magazines, newspapers, and websites. So if you'd like to find out more, I have a previous episode of the podcast with the co-founder, Ben Morgan, titled Figuring Out the Architectural Media. It's episode 12. Or if you just want to use Bowbird and try it out for yourself, then head over to bowerbird.io. My guest today is Jim Stevenson, also known as Click Click Jim, an architectural photographer and filmmaker based in the UK who is known for his documentary approach to capturing architecture and human interactions. Jim has shot for some of the world's most famous architects, as well as many new and emerging practices. His architecture films have been featured in numerous international film festivals, and his photography appears extensively across the architectural media. In this episode, Jim and I chatted about his practical advice for picking the right photographer for your project, timing your shoot, allocating your marketing budget, and how you as the architect can make life a lot easier for your photographer. We also talked about his tips for getting your project published, how to select the right publications, and how to develop and maintain good relationships with the media. We also spoke about why film is becoming more popular as a way to showcase your work and ideas, and the different types of films that you should be thinking about making as well as the many creative ways architects can use and distribute film to promote your projects and your practice. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jim Stevenson. Jim Stevenson, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, No worries. Thank you for inviting us. It's good to see you. It's a pleasure. So you're going to be representing all photographers today and I'm going to be asking you all my photography and videography questions. But maybe before we get into them... um, do you just want to maybe talk a little bit about your, I guess, like your background and uh, and, and and your career as a photographer and videographer and um, uh, also maybe like name drop some really amazing, awesome architects that you've <laughs> worked with as well. That's always fun too. So, yeah, take it away. <laughs> well, if I'm representing all photographers, I'm just, I'm already thinking of the emails and messages I'm going to get after <laughs> this goes out uh, telling me what I got wrong yep. during it from other photographers. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I, I mean, I, I started out. Uh, this sounds like a like a sort of stupid start to a Disney film, but all I ever wanted to do was be uh, an architect. I wanted to design buildings, and uh, my dad was a civil engineer, so he had a kind of healthy distrust of architects. Um, so I guess my rebellion 
was going into architecture, but I wasn't rebellious, rebellious enough to go full architect. So I became an architectural technologist. I went to university, studied that, and I worked at a few different practices um, in the US and in the UK uh, for about 10 years, 10, 12 years. But I mean, I've been doing, I've been drawing buildings since I was like 15 for my dad as a summer job. So I was quite well, by the time I got into the profession, I was quite sort of uh, fairly experienced already. Uh, when I worked in America, I worked for a guy called Gary Meehan, and he was great. And he was the first, that was the first time I sort of really started to appreciate photography as as, as a kind of object in and of itself. You know, it, it wasn't just a, a photograph of something. It was a photograph in its own right, if you, if you know what I mean, if that makes any sense. Like, I did an interview recently and somebody asked me what my favorite what my first memory of photography was and in all honesty the first my first memory of photography was the pictures of Liverpool Football Club that I had all over my wall when I was like eight and nine years old I did, they wanted a sort of intelligent clever answer yeah. but I didn't have one but when I met Gary he um he was a keen photographer and he basically said to me look if you can spend however many years if you can spend five ten years designing a building the least you can do is be able to take a good picture of it afterwards so yeah. I went out with him. We used to take pictures of our projects and I came back to the UK with this really keen interest in it. And then, you know, work, work came back into the design side of things, did a lot of work in-house, uh, photography work in-house. And then in 2008, 2009, got made redundant because there was a huge crash. Yeah. Here, well, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had to find something else. I only had two things I could do, which was draw buildings, which nobody wanted, or um, I could, I'd done shop work or I'd worked on building sites, and all of those things were shutting down. The only other thing I could do was take pictures. Um, and architects still needed to market their work. In fact, they had to market even harder because they, the, the, the boom, had, the, bu the bubble had burst. Mm -hmm. So I very quickly had to make photography work, and it became about paying the rent, and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I actually went back into the design side of things for a short while, but decided actually that my head had been turned and that photography was the means that I wanted to use to explore architecture and actually it wasn't being an architect that I, I wanted to do I just wanted a job that allowed me to explore the built environment yeah that's really interesting and then so uh, and and then uh, was there a certain point where you basically you know full-time decided that's the commitment now I'm, I'm not going back to architecture um this is you know this is it now yeah I mean I think I can't, I can't pinpoint a date but I know it was the first time that I got a commission that wasn't through like a friend or a contact yeah it was right. first time a stranger got in touch with me and said we've seen your pictures we'd like you to photograph this and then I was like okay this is this actually works now and it's not you know I'm not relying on uh, only on contacts which was a big yeah. part of the first year or so of my of the practice yeah of course and had they seen your work published and and that's how they kind of came across it or was it just some other some other medium I think in that instance, it was like they'd seen it on another architect's website. Like, sort of, it's a kind of a small world, to be honest. Yeah, right. Um, okay. But uh, these days, it's you know, my work being published is my main kind of uh, yeah. point of contact. I think for, yeah. for most new new clients, I get. Did it take you a like a, that's over that time period? Was there a fair bit of experimentation in terms of how you? approached um you know each of the projects that you were dealing with like did you eventually kind of get to a point where you had uh i guess a more like a, a kind of relaxed way of doing it like you would go into a project and have that level of confidence of like i know pretty much how i'm going to approach this you know shoot uh, <laughs> i guess i mean it, it wasn't experimentation at the, at the start it was just total blind 
panic i didn't know what i was doing okay. but all i knew was <laughs> that i had to pay bills like i was i mean i knew yeah. i had to press a button on a camera and i still maintain like my yeah. essentially my job boils down to pressing a button at the yeah. right time yeah but wow i look at my the pictures that i took you know commercially that's getting paid to take you know 15 years ago and and i cringe <laughs> at them you know there was so much that I learned this learning curve was so steep because I never had an education in photography my everything I'd ever done was yeah. was about drawing things um so yeah the learning curve was steep and the first pictures were I just cringe I almost want to get back in touch with those clients and say well I'll go and do it for you again now. <laughs> but hopefully yeah. I'll think that again in 10 years you know that's what keeps you keeps you fresh yeah. so uh, you know you never want to sort of feel like you've hit it but I do feel Although I feel like my work has got room to develop and will develop, hopefully, ideally it will. Um, I do feel like I've got into a point where I definitely, like you said, like definitely a bit more relaxed when I'm on shoots now. In fact, I'm very relaxed and I, I'm confident yeah. that I can get like a good set of images. So now it's all about, you know, finding if those set of images can sort of meet the higher standards that I set myself. And, yeah. and, and yeah, it's not just about getting that kind of base level tick box series of photographs it's about doing something extra now yeah when I, i've sort of noticed that sometimes it it feels like photographers can kind of when they start their career they can kind of emerge along with a sort of a set of practices that they're working with that also at the same time are like going from sort of obscurity to suddenly you know their work is getting recognition and it's the photography is a big part of that, but there's like this, um, this really symbiotic relationship that develops between practices and photographers. I noticed like, did you, um, uh, some of those earlier clients, those ones that were kind of like a victim of your earlier, <laughs> like <laughs> photography, um, did, did some of them turn out okay? Like, um, did, did, did any of them end up like amazing, uh, well-known practices or, 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 or was it just it probably, um, <laughs> they probably chose the wrong photographer or what? I love that that they were a victim of my early work. Wow. Um, I can't, you made I can't them sound a little that. bit victimized, right? <laughs> In terms of you want to go back and um, sort of make up for it, but yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, I, it's really interesting that last year over here in the UK, the, the Architects Journal do a thing called Forty Under Forty, and only in architecture could the age 40 years old be considered young by the way but yep. um i say that i'm turning 40 in two weeks so i say yep. that with a degree of experience but so the aj do their 40 under 40 and uh, the architecture foundation do their new architects and the, both those things came out last summer as or was it this summer anyways in time yep. has no meaning anymore in the pandemic uh came out recently with their their lists and i realized actually how many of those practices i've kind of grown up with you know, we've all grown up together and, you know, I didn't start off knowing all of these people, but, you know, they were kind of, you know, the practices like Assemble um, and yep. Studio Weave and and then after that, people like S&M, who you've had on your podcast yep. and Can, who you should have on your podcast, by the yep. way, because Matt's amazing. Totally. Um, Intro me, please. But yeah, go on. <laughs> I will. I will. Um, lots of these kind of practices, and I'm sorry to anybody listening, I've missed out like a whole ton of names, yep. but there was lots of these practices who where the directors and the architects are kind of a similar age to me. Um, and there's actually a really nice community of them and i kind of realize i'm i'm one of the photographers that's that's a common thread between all of them yeah. um so there is a really nice thing at the moment where we're all kind of reaching this point in in our career where their their practices are, are sustainable as an architecture practice because that's a slog making a sustainable architecture practice but they're now sustainable architecture practices my pr own practice is kind of 
sustainable as well and we're all reaching that point at the same time so it's really a kind of it has been a really nice time seeing that happen and then to see these two publications come out with their lists was a real nice like nice way to sum it up i think yeah yeah i I think that's really interesting and it leads into the questions i want to ask around kind of selecting a photographer and some of that more practical stuff but i just had a meeting earlier today with with an architect who said something which i thought was really interesting they were they were saying their new practice they had approached one of the most famous photographers like in their country and the photographer had agreed to shoot their project and the architect said that was almost like recognition in itself. (laughs) And I thought that's an interesting comment, but I think there is a sort of, um, like as an architectural photographer, there is an association that you shoot a certain group of practices firms and they do a certain kind of work. And there tends to be this sense of like from the outside, um, a desire to kind of be part of that community. I find that kind of draws architects into certain photographers. Sometimes it's just something that I've kind of picked up on, but it's interesting to hear you talking about, you know, looking down that list and noticing that, yeah, like, that you probably had a very good radar for architecture (laughs) as well and architects in terms of your uh, whether you call it your screening process or whatever but but (laughs) like you you kind of gravitated to a certain by the sounds of it to a certain types of practices and 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 they've gone on to be you know really successful and you're continuing to work with them but it's interesting this idea of like how do architects match with photographers and i'm just wondering if you've got any kind of thoughts on that um, in in terms of like that natural fit and finding that sort of natural fit. I think that's really interesting that this, the idea that the architect kind of felt like they'd they'd made something by having that photographer. I'm a bit sort of a little bit wary of that. I think photography, (laughs) because it's a, because it's a solo pursuit most of the time it is prone to kind of feeding into egos a little bit. And yeah. I was having a really good chat with another photographer recently. We were talking about how, you know, photographers, their ego, our egos can run away with us a bit if we get a bit carried away with that idea that, cause we're on our own. Um, you know, it's lone that it's basically a load of lone, mainly lone white men yeah. doing their thing. And actually that can be kind of a bit dangerous. So a bit wary of kind of, of, of sort of, using the photography you use as a kind of gauge to where you are like a status symbol and a a sort of that sort of thing yeah no definitely it's um but it's i feel like it's something that's definitely out there (laughs) you know um, i guess it is i just in a way personally personally uh, exactly no i understand um and but it 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 kind of um i suppose like part of the reason that that occurs or one or or a little bit of it is that, you know, you mentioned that uh, the photographers are primarily just solo, you know, there isn't under you a team of 15 other photographers, part of your photography agency. Like it's basically you. And when it, whenever anybody is like a solo kind of entrepreneur, there's, there's a natural limit on who, how many projects you can shoot and what you can shoot and that sort of thing. Right. Like you're, your your capacity is very finite <laughs> and when yeah. when and and as a as kind of a byproduct of that i feel like it naturally leads to that sort of that exclusivity factor that can kind of happen it's not so it do, i don't get the impression that it's because everybody has big egos it's just there's not much of of you know jim to go around <laughs> i think and other <laughs> photographers my work has a particular style i think and it was never deliberate 
I never sort of set out and said, right, that's what I'm going to do. But I definitely work in a more kind of documentary way. So I, I'm much more interested in people using the space and interaction and actually kind of I use the word mess a lot but I just don't have a better word for it but I quite like the mess that gets created around architecture I don't mean like literal mess like yeah. litter on the street I just mean our buildings are messy you know they get lived in and they get and they get used in ways that um, the architects maybe didn't plan to. So when I set out, when I first started, I definitely like had these big practices, you know, like Richard Rogers and Zaha Hadid and, and those kind of practices on my list. Like I want to work with them. They're the big yeah. famous ones. I want to work with them. And I have, you know, shot for those guys and I've shot with, with Herzog de Muron and Bjarke Ingels and people like that, yeah. which is, is great. And, you know, that's, that's nice uh, to do, but actually the, my, the, the sort of core of my, of the practices that I work with tend to sort of do smaller projects, uh, kind of architecture, not architecture with a capital A, you know, like little architectural interventions that are actually really important and really change the way that we use the city, but are able also to take a bit of like a little bit of mess and a bit of bounce. And, you know, not that, you know, the maxi by Zaha can't do that as well, but yeah. perhaps these practices that are a bit more interested in, I tell you what, I'm running myself into holes here, but practices that are a bit more interested in the sort of tactility of it all and the use of the building. Yeah. So most of my clients are really into that. And and um, I think that's where my most sort of successful work comes from. I, as I'm saying this, I'm just thinking, right, that client's not going to work with me again. Me again. <laughs> you have to but, be careful, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, do you know what I mean? Like I think yeah. most of my clients are, um, are interested. They, they commission me now. The, you know, it took a few years, but they commissioned me now because, because of the people in the pictures that I, I, I don't tend to photograph buildings empty. That's what it boils yeah. down to. And, um, yeah. and that wasn't, when I first started out, that wasn't a common way of, the most common way of photographing buildings was empty, no people, cold and all that. Um, and so I was one, you know, there's people like Ewan Barn, the Dutch photographer yeah. who was really key in popularizing that kind of more documentary style. And I definitely fit into that. So I think those clients that sort of come to me and think we want Jim to do that project tend to have tend to want people in their images and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, that's interesting. So that kind of comes into that question a little bit in terms of photographer selection. It's like, oh, I mean, it's difficult for you to speak from your side and give kind of objective, um, you know, I guess, I, I guess advice on this, but maybe, but maybe there is an idea of like, is it best to just kind of, you know, from an architect standpoint, just to kind of go with their gut, who do they like and that sort of thing, not to overthink that process. Um, I also have an additional question, which is like, where do you sit on like monogamy with a photographer versus kind of like different um, different photographers for different projects based on who who f seems to specialize in certain types of things? Because I've had like both sides of that come up on the podcast previously. So I'm very interested to kind of get your take on both of those. Any tips for sort of selection? Plus also this idea of like, do we just, is it best to just work with the same photographer for the rest, you know, for the life of the practice or, or mix it up a little bit. What do you reckon? I'll start with the first question first. Yeah. So the first question, um, I, I, for me, like, I, I think you go with your gut and, and you don't th overthink it, but you do have to think about it a little bit. So there's a sweet spot as an architect. Because I've, I've been on that side as well in meetings yeah. where we've been choosing photographers to 
photograph our work and I think you have to do your research the, the worst case scenario for me as a photographer is when I feel like somebody's commissioned me because it was on their to-do list today it was just the hire a photographer was on their list and yeah. the, it's like number five in the list of 50 and they've just ticked it off yeah. and they just they just send me uh, you know the address and send me off um, to do it and you know that's fine but they're not invested in it really they're just it's just a thing that they're supposed to do so they're just doing photography because they're supposed to do it the best scenario is kind of when you feel like the, the person that's this is assuming they're a new client that, that they've kind of looked at your work a bit and they've chosen you for a reason I think if you're going to work with a photographer it's an investment you're going to spend money I think that money I do very much believe um, that money is good value and you'll see a return on it um, if you get a good photographer but it's an investment so you know you would should do your research just as you would do with any kind of purchase or investment um so i think you should look into photographers you should choose you should have a reason for commissioning the photographer that you've commissioned and it could be that you like their work it could be that they photographed for other practices that you aspire to be yeah. close to um it could be for a whole it could be that you've met them and you like them as a person it could be a whole load of different different reasons but i think you have to have a reason and it, that reason shouldn't just be that you googled architectural photographer and you just commissioned the first person that came up because ultimately this is going on to your second one smoothly and without any breaks as a professional <laughs> ultimately what you want to do is build a relationship with a photographer and you want to get to a point where you know that photographer and you trust them the first couple of shoots you do with them you know you're you're going to have a bit more of a back and forth with them you, you probably go to site with them hopefully that's what i like anyway if they come to site with me and we have a chat about stuff but after sort of two or three shoots you know you're kind of in a position where you, you trust each other and you, it, that's a really lovely point to get to i think as a relationship i would say though that it is worth particularly if you're a practice that do like you know for instance snm who you had on a recent yeah. show if you do work in two different um, sectors if you do private work and public work or, for instance or you do a variety of different buildings you do schools and you do houses museums it is worth building a relationship with a few different photographers um, purely because different photographers have different styles and you know I think the difference in style amongst architecture photographers is is small and can sometimes seem quite nuanced but it does exist so um, if you wanted these really beautiful tonal um, like uh, amazing sort of more austere images of your projects um you'd go to someone like Hélène Benet who's brilliant at that her work is just stunning it's like art gallery level photography it's beautiful you'd go to her you wouldn't come to me for that kind of work you'd come to me if you want people using it if you want a picture of a kid having a tantrum on the floor of the museum that you've just designed you come to me <laughs> for that because that's more like my work and our yeah. work is so far apart and but you might want both on one project for different reasons you know yeah. so i think it's worth building uh, having a little sort of list in your head or written down of, of you know two three four photographers that you that you like for different reasons yeah and if if we build that long-term relationship do we get from the architect's standpoint do we get any special perks <laughs> or any <laughs> do we get to cut in line do, what do we get to do if um if we if we really build a nice long relationship because you're obviously a very busy guy and um do i get my project shot before christmas or what's the deal <laughs> Yeah, surprisingly, you're not the only person that's asked me this week if I can get it shot before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it comes up, or before the awards submissions, right, or something like that. Yeah, the ROBA awards are coming yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Deadline, I think is December the 2nd or something, so, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, I don't think you get any, like, 
perks. Um, no. There's no way I can answer this whilst pleasing all of my clients. <laughs> no, exactly. But you don't get me. Like, I'm not going to... I'm not going to bump another client for you, but no. you know, equally, if you say, "Look, while you're here, I also need a portrait doing," or yeah. actually, you know, the weather's not very good. Could you come back for an hour the next day? It, you yeah. know, at a certain point, with a lot of my clients, I kind of got with, with with a lot of the clients I was talking about earlier. Those practices that I've kind of grown up with, we're friends now. You know, we can yeah. socialise together, and um, and so sometimes it's you know, oh, I've I've designed a. A table. I've done. I've done a new table. Um, I know you don't really do furniture, but could you just pop? If you got time, pop round and I'll buy you a beer. If you could take a few pictures yeah. and that kind of thing. So, I, 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 you know, there's not. I don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> give you perks at the expense of other clients. But no, I no, definitely, no. Um, it's a bit more like working with a friend, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Point. So, yeah, no, it is good to build that um, that personal relationship and see it and see it as a. I guess a bit of a personal relationship as well, right? It's not just strictly business. It's um, at the end of the yeah. day, you know, you to you're, you're 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 going on like a journey with your career. They're going on a journey with theirs, and and sort of, you know, it's it's a collaboration as much as anything, right? Well, yeah, because what you want is, I mean, even if you're a big established sort of mega practice, you know, you've still yeah. spent five years designing that building, and you've still got a project architect who's gone to bed. Yeah. at night thinking about it and woken up in the morning thinking about it and obsessed over it and sat there at dinner with their family tr- mentally drawing stuff because you mm. can't switch off it's still it, what you want is your photographer to appreciate how much work you've put into this and yeah. um and that the best way to get that is by building a relationship with with somebody who understands that and can yeah. you can have a conversation with them about it and you can also it also means that you can talk with them about what hasn't worked in the building and what, what perhaps you don't want to show in the photographs and because i think you, you do want to build that relationship and um you you want to get to a point where you know the photographer isn't a technician that you're directing the photographer is someone who you're collaborating with yeah and and you can give them some direction and they can say to you well i i think actually this might work and you can have that back and forth and that's when you're going to get the best work really yeah absolutely i guess like in terms of before the actual sort of shoot itself uh happens is there anything just like you know, I guess that can make life easier and make the process smoother in terms of in the lead up from the very first time that an architect reaches out to you to scheduling it in terms of how, uh, what a realistic, obviously this will vary throughout the year, but I'm just in, just in terms of, is it best to do it at, to start that conversation as early as possible, not leave it until there's this sense of urgency. It has to be done tomorrow. Like all these little things. Is there anything that, you know, um, that you can do as a kind of a public service announcement for all, uh, for all architects <laughs> kind of like, this is how you can make life a little bit easier in terms of maybe the commissioning process or like that initial kind of con- conversation. I mean, I think it's never too early to start talking about a project with a photographer. Um, and actually, uh, sort of on, aside from that, I, I'm getting more commissions to photograph the, the construction process, process yeah. as well as the finished building. So it's never too easy, uh, early, sorry, to bring in a photographer in that conversation. I think what you should also bear in mind that um, you're, the chances are you're not that photographer's only client. So if you tell them, if you speak to them in August 2019 about a project, don't expect that it's going to be fresh in their minds in august 2021 just because you've been so focused on it so you should bring the talk to them early about it but then be aware that you're going to have to talk to them again a bit close to the time yeah. so uh, and i think there's a sweet spot with with timing as well like because if you it, the temptation is to say right we've got we've got practical completion signed off with the contractor for three months time 
on this Friday. So we want to get you in on the Monday to do it. And you know, like when I get those emails, I'm like, I I know that it's not going to be finished on a Friday. No construction ever finishes on time, really. And even if it does, like it's not going to be inhabited for another two weeks anyway. So I, I think the temptation is, to be because you're excited and that's understandable the temptation is to be like we're finished yes let's get a photographer and let's get them booked in really early and yeah. let's get it sorted but um if you can and if you don't have any deadlines with awards or press or anything like that if you can wait until it's finished and that it's a little bit more sort of um lived in i think that's a much better way to go but i understand that like, that can be really difficult with with awards deadlines and, and things like that um but yeah waiting until it's finished is always a good start yeah but you should you should start as conversations early and, and um i like it when i feel like i've i've sort of lived a bit of that a tiny little one percent of that of that process with the architect i like to feel a bit like i'm invested in the building as well yeah um so that's why i like those early early conversations really yeah absolutely um i want to pick up on you mentioning about shooting the construction because that's very interesting so what's so what's the deal there um you know, uh, uh, what's the reason? What's the reason behind firms having an interest in that? Is it is it generating content for, you know, so they can start talking about the project sooner? Is it just like documenting the process, kind of all of the above? Like, is what? Wh- why is that sort of emerging as a thing that you're being asked to do a bit more? I think I think a lot of it is generating more content. We, I think yeah. people are recognizing that they constantly need fresh stuff to put out. But I also yeah. think it's an appreciation that photographs have two lives their first life is when they're news and it's like look at this we just finished this or look at this we've just installed the glazing in this project or something like that but then the second life might happen in a year or two or 50 when the photographs are actually a historical document at that point and that's when they have this second longer life and it's a really beautiful moment when that happens to a photograph or a set of photographs um so i think architects are perhaps appreciating now that you know these are really interesting things to look back on that whole process and actually the process of building something is 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 as well maybe not as but is you know should be considered almost as important as the finished building itself so to have a really great set of coherent photographs that that stylistically match up with the finished images makes a really lovely set that you can look back on in you know 20 30 50 years time when your practice is this huge famous practice and Tashin are doing a massive book about you you can say look we've got all of these images but i mean i yeah. love looking at pictures of like the empire the empire state building being built yeah. or something like that or, yeah. or morris brumfield's pictures of british industry in the 1950s are incredible and so to, i think and they're historical documents so i think that's kind of where that those images yeah. sort of sit I think. Wow, really playing the kind of long-term legacy game. I hadn't that thought hadn't even really crossed my mind, really, because it's but not something are, I hear brought up. A legacy. Yeah, you know. it's interesting. So going back to the, the the example or the kind of hypothetical you're mentioning about, you know, wanting to kind of schedule photography, like you know, we've got this super great timeline. Practical completion happens here Friday. Client moves in Monday. We shoot Tuesday. Like it, all great in theory, but it completely like falls apart. Um, why? What's the reason behind that from your experience? Is to want to do it in such a very like precise way at that exact moment in time? Is it? 
Is it is it because of the like inconveniencing the client, or is it like because one thing I hear sometimes from from architects and clients is like, um, oh well, you know, we don't like the client's stuff, so we want to sort of shoot <laughs> the project before they move in properly. Like, <laughs> which in your case, that's like kind of the antithesis of what you're all about. But um, you know, is that what's sort of the reason behind wanting to kind of approach it that way rather than waiting that little bit of extra time? I think it's a lot of reasons. I think part of it is just excitement. You know, we've got a new project that we can talk about. And some architects, you know, some smaller practices might only finish two or three projects in a year. So it's excitement. And that's great. Like enthusiasm is always infectious. So that's, that's, that's really wonderful. Some of it is, is that idea um, that we don't want to inconvenience the client. Sometimes it's, oh, we actually want to, I've had it before where clients have said, oh, we, we want to photograph it before our clients move in. Yeah. So we've got like a Saturday to go and do it before they move in. And um, and that's fine. I mean, it's not really, to be totally honest, it's not really the kind of work that I'm good at, really. I can't, I, I'm not great at making empty buildings look beautiful, like Hélène Benet or Simone yeah. Bosi. I'm really great at that. I'm, I'm probably not that person. Um, and sometimes it is like, oh, we don't really like their furniture. So can we get in there quickly? But actually what I say to people is, you know, I'm going to move furniture around. If it's a house, for instance, I'm going to move furniture around anyway. Bring a few of your own stuff. We did a, ha- a shoot last week where the client bought like a, you know, a couple of armchairs and a few like key bits, and we can we can use that to kind of um, complement some of the stuff that's already in the house, and we can move out things that you really don't like. But also, you, you, I, I do think you kind of have to accept that you designed that building for somebody. You didn't design it for yourself. Um, that's probably a bit a bit of a bigger discussion but so sometimes no, it's that. Totally. sometimes it's competitions sometimes with a public building um it can quite often be that they think oh well you know you know the museum have, have got their own photographer but we want to control the the flow of images so we want you in first right. um so it can be for lots of different reasons and some and you know i get it and I think sometimes it's really important to be able to react that quickly. Um, and other times, you know, it can actually be worth waiting for a little bit. If it's winter, you know, waiting for the landscaping to bed in in spring or, or something like that. I'm always impressed by architects that are just patiently waiting for the for it to be right. Um, you don't yeah, see it every yeah. day, but when you do, you go, okay, there's real respect for the for the art there in terms of getting it right that you're willing you, that you are just happily waiting six months for the weather and the landscaping and them to finish this little bit of paint that they have to still do outside or whatever like <laughs> you know i always admire that because there is always this sort of sense of well there can be a sense of really have to get this stuff out life depends on it we need this photography out the door asap um not necessarily the right way to approach it right best to kind of slow it down and get it right yeah, I think the ideal situation is that you would wait. But um, I know, I mean, if you're only if you're producing, you know, a dozen projects a year, then it's easier to wait. Isn't yeah, it's it? very easy to wait. You've got something <laughs> to talk about. But if you're only doing two or three, or if you've done a project that's like a really, you know, it's going to be like a big project for your practice, and you're a smaller practice, then I get that you want to get it done quickly. And in that case, it might be worth doing, you know, two shoots, get some pictures done quickly, so you've got something to give the press but also commission something for the spring when, you know, the landscape's going to change. And that might give you a second bite at a bit more press as well at that point. Yeah, that's interesting. So have you, this sort of idea of the second bite or like the second set of photos has come up a couple of times on the podcast because it's been mentioned that, um, you know, uh, on the surface it might seem kind of counterintuitive, but you actually might end up picking up a little bit 
you kind of get a second round, right? I mean, or, or yeah, another yeah. opportunity to maybe reach out to journalists, you know, build up a little bit of hype on social media. So, so do you find that that's, you know, I guess not the end of the world if photos end up being broken into a couple of different stages? Yeah, I, I think I think it's a really important thing to consider, and it does happen. You know, I mean, first of all, you, you know, you can if you look at say Dazine or somebody like that, they do run new sets of photographs and yeah. uh, the, of buildings that they've already run as recently yeah. as kind of a year ago. As long as you've got a different hook on it, as long as you can say, uh, you know, a revisit or a relook at it a year down the line, how is it bedding in? Or, you know, uh, if there's like a art piece being installed or something like that, as long as you've got, a, you know, a little hook that you can put in there and say, look, I know you've already run these, but we're giving these something is an new. exclusive. Something yeah, has changed. changed. Something's yeah. news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if something hasn't changed, you can go to a different publication and say, look, no one's used these pictures yet. These Because magazines and media yep. outlets love exclusives. So these yep. you can have the first look at these. Uh, and, you know, chances are you'll find somebody, if the project's right, if the project's a good project, you'll find somebody uh, to go for it. Do, does the same thing sort of apply if it's, an, you know, you, you mentioned earlier going back to those early projects and potentially like reshooting them, but let's just pretend we didn't offer that because, you know, we don't want, to, we don't want anyone to actually come and claim their prize. But um, reshooting, I mean, reshooting older projects could also, ha, that could also maybe be another opportunity, right? Like I think I, I sometimes get this question of we've gone and reshot one of our earlier projects, like are we, are we allowed to send that to publications or whatever? And it's like, yeah, of, yeah. of course, <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no rule against, you know, work has to be from the last six months or you're, you're out of luck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, I think that's the, the sort of mistake that a lot of clients who are kind of new to getting their work published make perhaps is, is assuming that if your work isn't brand new, then it's not publishable. Yeah. And I think that's part of the driver behind getting projects photographed immediately as soon as they're finished, because it has to be published as news. And, but actually, you know, there's always, there's always room for good architecture in media outlets. And I think a revisit is something that um, is becoming more and more common the architects journal. in fact, do that quite often. They send, they either send a photographer out or they get new images in of a building that's like a couple of years old. And I think it's a really interesting, I mean, if you wait five years or say your project is your practice, sorry, has just turned 10 years old, you can say, Oh, look, we're 10 years old. We're going to spend this every month for this year. We're going to revisit uh, one of our old projects and we're going to show it off on our Instagram or our website yeah. or give it to an, an, a media outlet or something or publish a little book about it because a revisit I mean there's a pragmatic reason to do it in, in the fact that you can get a new bite at, at press but also as it's really important for the design process to go back to your building and see how it's being used and see how it's almost like a post-occupancy study except yeah. you also have a photographer with you which is a really valuable exercise I think for any designer really yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I've got one more question on the kind of the selection and planning process before we can maybe start talking a little bit about the media. But um, mm. it's a scenario that gets put to me quite often is this sort of agonizing decision-making over, uh, let's say we've got, you know, three or four projects coming up, but we maybe only have budget to shoot two of them or something like that, God <laughs> forbid, but or something like that, or this sense of, you know, 
we've got some projects on the horizon. One's amazing or two are amazing. One's like, okay. And the fourth one, we're kind of a little bit sort of like maybe a little bit more iffy about maybe it's smaller, maybe it's whatever. Um, that can be kind of a, yeah, a little bit of an agonizing um, decision-making process for architects because it's like, you know, we, we love working with, you know, Jim, do we, do we get Jim to shoot all of these? Like, is it worth it? Like there's this, this question gets put to me kind of all the time. And I was just wondering if you might have, I mean, I guess, I guess the answer will be, you know, it's always good to shoot the work, right? But is there anything in terms of, I guess, like how, how maybe a practice should think about allocating their resources, I suppose, like in the longer term, is it best to shoot everything or, 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 or is it, is there a way that they could maybe think about, you know, how to prioritize or, or maybe delay or, or just any sort of ideas or strategies you have around that? I think, I think if the, if the problem is budget, um, I would always suggest that you talk to your photographer about it because I would I always would rather have the opportunity to say, no, I can't do it for that budget than not be asked in the first place. Um, yeah. So it's worth uh, talking to your photographer. Secondly, also, and this is something that I think a lot of pra- a lot of newer practices perhaps aren't quite as wise to, but if you get if you've done a project and you know. You, then you talk to the contractor and the M&E supplier and the electrician and the glazing supplier and the door supplier and blah, 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 all the other people that are involved in the project. Yeah. And you say to them, look, we're getting a photographer. Do you all want to chip in? Yeah. Um, that's great. For me, that's great because I charge a little bit extra for each practice, for each third party. But by the time you've divided it all up, it can work out so much cheaper for the architect individually by the time we've split up the total amount because yeah. the, the amount that i charge per third party isn't equivalent to a whole new fee you know it's it's a percentage of the original fee so it's worth seeing how many other different um third parties you can get involved in the photography process um but then in terms of you know if, if you still are in a position where you're not sure you can really budget to have a photographer go out and photograph all four projects for instance have that list have that list of, of other photographers that you um that you trust because you might have them at different levels. You know, you might have somebody who's quite well established who's charging X amount for their day rate, but there'll be some but that you have somebody on that list who's, who's perhaps um, a little bit less established and is a bit more up and coming and don't take advantage of them, please like pay them, but yeah. you can expect them not to charge as much as like, you know, like somebody who's just staying out, isn't going to charge as much as Len Benet or, or yeah. Ewan Barn or, or Hafton Crow or something like that, who yeah. are all really good value, by the way. But, you know, that's how that's how <laughs> yeah. the economy works. You know, if you're starting out, you can't charge quite as much. So um, don't take advantage, but have somebody on that list who yeah. who will be really grateful for the chance uh, and really grateful to get paid as well. And that sounds, I mean, that's such an awesome way of putting it as well because somebody up and coming who, you know, is maybe even would really like, benefit from the opportunity to work on that project as well. Like it's, it's someone new that's kind of exciting as well to almost do a bit of talent scouting, like who is up yeah. and coming, who's kind of new. Cause, um, you know, you never know. <laughs> I, I think that's a massive thing. I think it's so important to, to be looking at that. And because partly, well, first of all, don't get into the trap of thinking that you're doing that person a favor, like you're yeah. commissioning them and of they'll be grateful to have the commission, but also, you know, respect them uh, as photographers. But um, I think if you can be, if you can be growing your practice alongside a photographer, 
I mean, every photographer has been in that position. I have definitely. Um, I think that's a, a really great way to do. It. And also it's a chance to look at uh, different types of photographers. And cause I, I don't know how much we want to get into this. Uh, probably not a great deal. Let's do it. <laughs> cause it's really, it's its own subject matter. It's its own podcast. And I've done yeah. whole panel discussions on it, but photography, yeah. architectural photography isn't a diverse um, field. Yeah. And if you're looking at um, working with newer photographers, look, look outside of that, um, stereotype middle-aged yeah. white men basically yeah. um because there's a lot of really exciting stuff happening so i think if you can get in that position where you've got you know you've got a couple of photographers who are really well established but you've got a few that you know are more up and coming and you're building a relationship with them they'll become those photographers that are really established and you can yeah. work with them alongside that yeah that's that's amazing i'm glad i asked that question um maybe looking at the media a little bit i guess um you know i guess it, Publication selection is always an interesting, I mean, this again, a whole other podcast on media and where to try and get published and all this stuff. But, you know, I guess it would be, it would be great to get your kind of point of view on, um, I suppose like what to prioritize and what's valuable these days from, from your standpoint. Now we won't, we'll be safe. We won't like annoy any editors or journalists or whatever. We won't, we won't like, um, you know, criticize any, any aspects of the media whatsoever. (laughs) But, but I guess like in terms of there's many different ways that you can approach it and architects that they maybe go for that kind of broader, try to get kind of every, everywhere initially. Um, you know, maybe they go kind of online first or, or the, maybe the first people that reach out to them are like, day one, Dezine emails them and day two, they say yes. And it's up there. Like then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is like, I've got that one-on-one relationship with that editor or, or there's that one or two publications, those print magazines. I'm, I'm willing to wait like eight months exclusivity with like all, all the Mac, all the mechanics of that. Um, I guess like, do you kind of, when your clients talk to you about it, do which I'm sure they all do, do you kind of have a do you lean any particular way these days in terms of thinking about you know um, the way to go in terms of beginning that process of getting a project out there? Um, I, I think that I, when I, when I have these discussions, which yeah, like like you said, I do a lot all the of time. Yeah, I want to talk about this. Um, I think it's I think it's important to remember that your photographer will have contacts at yes. different outlets, particularly if they're established, will have contacts. Um, but they're not your comms person. So, you know, they'll help you because it's in their interest to get their work published, but they're not experts at it, um, like a comms PR person will be. Um, so consider that, even if you're a small practice, you know, there's there's lots of different people who work at lots of different levels. But I, I think the first thing to have that discussion is what do you want what do you want the publicity to do? Are you, are you looking to show off a project to your peers? Are you looking for that kind of recognition? Are you looking uh, for a website that's going to give you loads of links back to yours for SEO? But or you, are you looking for new clients? I think most of the time people are looking for new clients or awards or things. So in that case, you start thinking, where are the people who are deciding those things? Where are my potential new clients looking the most? Because it's lovely getting your work published in, you know, uh, in print in an architect in architectural press, and you mm. should try and do that. But the chances are, if you design house extensions, um, they're probably more likely your new clients are probably more likely looking in a Sunday supplement in a newspaper, in a yeah. property supplement, or something like that, or Grand Designs magazine, or something yeah. like that. So I think it's worth thinking about like wh- where you you know you 
where you're where the audience that you want is looking at pictures and video and things like that but also write a list of you know what your priority is like because I, I don't think it I, I, I sort of say if you, if you really want your work on Dazine go yep. to them first without sending the pictures to everybody to everyone else, else. To them yeah of say, course <laughs> yeah because what you don't want to do is is piss off a bunch of people by telling loads of people you've got the first look and then they all run them at the same time because <laughs> they don't know you've sent them to 20 different people so have a list of, of that you want to work through a little bit yeah um and and just go through that and it's i think that's where a good sort of comms person whether it be somebody in-house or a freelance comms person can really help because they can turn it into a bit more of a science and a little less sort of potluck by being really targeted about it. But I think that's the thing, like don't assume that your pictures are going to, that everyone's going to run them without you. You have to give them to them and you have to give them some copy and you have to give them some drawings yeah. potentially make sure you're giving them, you know, making it, making the journalist's life as easy as possible. But in terms of where you want your work to go, that's a discussion you should really be having based on, you know, audience and what you want out of that kind of publicity. Mm -hmm. No, but that was such a great way of laying it out and particularly mentioning things that don't often get thought about like the SEO links, right? Like, you know, a magazine yeah. is not a good way to boost your SEO necessarily. Whereas, you know, so there's different, you'll have different goals, different priorities, different, maybe different stages that your practice is at where certain things matter less than they maybe did earlier on uh, in terms of prestige and recognition versus clients yeah. versus whatever. Like it, it just depends on, on, on what and those goals are. it could be different are. from project to project. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also on a project, you might, you know, I tend to shoot, I tend to take quite a lot of pictures, I think, comparative to some other photographers, I tend to take quite yeah. a lot. So you might be able to build two different sets. So you might be able to say to, you know, a print magazine, look, here's 20 images that you have, no one else is going to use these if you print them. And you might be able to say to an online publication, look, here's 20 images that are coherent and work together. No one else has got these, so you'll have the, you, you know, you're working on two exclusives. In that case, you need to tell both those publications that it's not an exclusive on the project, it's exclusive on the photos. But um, just try and make your photography work hard for you, I guess. If you like what you're hearing so far, please share this episode with colleagues you think would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave me a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app? Every review makes it easier for people to find the show and hear what my amazing guests have to say. Just head to ratethispodcast.com slash Dave and pick your favorite podcast app. I also love hearing your questions and I'm planning more listener Q&A episodes. So please send your questions in to questions at vanityprojects.com and I'll answer them on an upcoming episode. Yeah, that's interesting. You also kind of touched on that, you know, your photographer will will also have their own kind of uh, relationships and media relationships and editors that you've worked with on a lot of different things and uh, and that sort of thing. Um, do you do you sort of? I mean, when you're working with your clients, is that something where you kind of keep that on your side unless they ask for it, or is it something that you tend to sort of put forward to them in terms of you know your your own sense of I really like this project and these photos. I would really like to see them in this particular publication. Like how, how, how often does it kind of break down that way? Well, I, tr I try not to promise anything to any clients, you know, no, I, try right. to say, you know <laughs> I, I know, I know Tom at the 
at Dezine or I know Robert, the AJ yeah. or Amy or, you know, all these different people, I try not to say to them, I'll send it to them and they'll publish it because yeah. you set yourself up for a fool if you start promising Absolutely. things and then you're, yeah. then you've, you're just building bad relationships. But, um, I, I, yeah, I definitely, you know, there's a few journalists who contact me on a sort of semi-regular basis and say, oh, have you got anything new? Um, or, you know, next time you photograph for these guys, can you get in touch with me and yeah. send them on to me? Or I saw on your Instagram stories that you're working with this architect today. Can we see the, can I see the pictures? Yeah. Um, and that tends to, uh, be the most common way of doing it. Uh, cause also, you know, again, like I'm not a comms person. So, you know, my, if I do that, it's just, it's based on like, it's based on a little WhatsApp message saying, oh, Hey mate, I was at this project today what do you reckon do you want to see the rest of the pictures rather than a kind of like a you know a proper press yeah. release kind of thing yeah exactly um let's talk about film um yeah. and in your intro we didn't really capture at what point in the journey film and capturing and making film about architecture started becoming you know um part of like part of the business your passion like was when did when did you start sort of you know Doing doing the film projects while you're also there shooting, like how did it start to become part of the process? I mean, there must have been a point where I upgraded my camera. <laughs> yeah, to, and, this and one does one video now. Do video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was like, oh, I wonder what happens if I press this button. Oh, yeah. oh amazing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that would have been so. The first part of it was just playing, basically, yep. um, and that was a lot of fun. And and I sort of did a few little things that were kind of more like. I had, a, I, um, I had somebody who I work with quite often email me yesterday, actually, and she I'm doing a shoot with her next um, year in January, and she mentioned having cine stills, which I think is a really interesting way of putting it. Cine stills are basically what I started off doing, which are basically photographs where you've pressed record instead of the yeah. shutter, yeah. and thing, the camera doesn't move, but things move through them. And there's no kind of narrative, there's no story there, but... Um, so I started off doing that. And then Laura Mark, who at the time was the uh, architecture editor at the AJ, commissioned me to work with her to make a series of films about that year's Sterling Prize shortlist. So we visited six buildings and made a film about each one. And they were like two or three minute films. And we interviewed um, the architects as well while we were doing it. And that, I mean, that was a massive learning curve. There's so much to learn there, you know, not just in, in terms of video but sound and narrative and story structure and that was in 2015 so that was like six years ago and I, I would say that I'd done a few films before that but I'd say that was the big sort of point where it kicked off and I started to it started to become such a big part and now um I mean now film is such a massive part of my of my business and my day-to-day -day editing process and shooting process it's huge in fact yeah so i like that term cine stills because you know we're always talking yeah. about it but it's like you never really have a word for it you know maybe we throw around I, vignettes I need to or credit something that to celeste I oh, need to, sorry perfect. i need to credit that to celeste bolt she was the person that said cine stills celeste, um, absolute genius yeah. um love it she's the person so so that's really cool so it started in that sort of simple way and and then it moved into more sort of interviewed profile of an architect of a project and that sort of thing got sort of more compl complex as it as it went on um mm. so so maybe if those are kind of interviewing an architect about a project capturing these kind of cine stills are there any other kind of genres or sort of subcategories or types of um film that you, that you make or um that are kind of um, that come up in, in when you're when you're shooting architecture and architects. 
I mean, it's it, there's a lot. I mean, it, it can be a yeah. full-blown 30-minute documentary or it can yeah. be like a 60-second piece. I think the big thing about a film shoot is, you know, if I go out and spend two days filming a building, um, the, the amount that I'm getting from it or the, and potentially that the client's going to get is, is huge. So if I spend two days on a project f- filming it, I'm take, I will take proper, in inverted commas, proper photos, high-res photographs while I'm doing it as well because – that's kind of, I'm a photographer, so that's how my brain works. Um, so you'll get a set of photographs. You'll get a film that might be like a three to five minute um, little mini documentary about the project that has an interview in it with an architect or the end user or something like that. Yeah. Um, so you've got a three to five minute film. You'll get a 60 second trailer from the same footage that you can use on social media. You can. This isn't a sales pitch. This is just what you can get from your video. You can get reels for Instagram or uh, TikTok or something like that. You can cut stills from film because the quality of the cameras is so good right now. So you can cut stills out of it that can be used for printing small or can easily be used for social media. You can yeah. get individual clips that you can loop in the background on a website. So the, the the breadth of output that I that I get from a from a, a one or two day film shoot is, is is massive. Everything from like a thirty second cine still that's on the background of a website to a you know to a five minute mini documentary or more longer and longer and longer. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of the, one of the big things about video is is how versatile it is and how hard you can get that that time that you've spent to work as well. That's such a great observation and I actually yeah, got it written down here. Where the hell do you share video? Because that's always the main <laughs> sort of thing that comes up. It's like, yeah, video, great. We get it. Beautiful. Love it. But what the hell do we do with it? Or where does it go? You know, but yeah. you just you just put it so perfectly. It's not just going to like go on the Vimeo account. It A single video can turn into all of these different marketing assets yeah. that work across Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, website, website background, website about page, like all these different, so many different things you can get out of one package. That's amazing. I hadn't really thought about that. It's really big. And, um, and and also like, you know, I did a film last year with, um, Morris and co, and it was intended to be like a little three minute film, but we interviewed, I interviewed Joe, the architect for about an hour. And actually what happened was we made six three minute episodes from it. And that meant that we gave two of those episodes to wallpaper we gave two of them to, you know, to Zine, and we gave two of them to Arc Daily. I can't remember the exact publications, but you know, we were able to spread it over three publications for the same story, essentially. Yeah. But I think that's a really good point that you touched on: is is where do we where do we put it? Because I think architects are sort of becoming more familiar with the what film can do for them, but perhaps less familiar about what to do with it afterwards. And I think sometimes the assumption is, oh, we've put all this work into doing a film and a set of photos. And then they sort of forget that you actually have to find a space for it. And yeah. you can put it on your own YouTube or your own Vimeo, but the chances are you don't have a big following on those platforms. So you have to find other ways to get it out there. So give it, offering it to like the bigger uh, online, but the, the, the big media outlets that have an online, a strong online presence, like Stir World are great, or, or Design Boom or Design and all these other different places, the Architects Journal, um, and different for different countries, of course. Uh, who have but they they have like a really respectful way of running films and video and they're really open to it as well 
But also there's other audiences. I and mean, sometimes we get quite obsessed with the online audience, but I've had a huge amount of success with film festivals as well. Uh, you know, so right now in Toronto, there's a film festival going on right now that is showing a film that I made last year with Sarah Wigglesworth and Piers Taylor. And that's a whole new audience. And yeah. so there's, and then you've got all your social medias and all of that stuff as well. So there's a lot of outlets for it, but you just have to, you have to make sure you've approached those outlets and got it to those outlets because people aren't, if, if you don't tell anyone you've done a film, then nobody's going to watch it. Basically. Yeah, that's that's a very good insight. Um, yeah, it's interesting when it becomes a documentary. I mean, that was that the reflection series. I, I was having a look at it earlier, talking about model making. I think one of the parts yeah, that, that I watched, just like absolutely amazing. And that was an interesting one because that that particular video was kind of talking about a process element. It wasn't necessarily about the firm as a whole it wasn't about a project it was about something completely separate it was like just looking at this aspect of what we do or it's very in-depth and i just think like you know maybe maybe podcast and interview is kind of has a similarity to film in terms yeah. of what it achieves because i kind of get to meet that architect for the first time like had i not seen that video I would have absolutely no read on personality, uh, yeah. what what the person is talking about. None of that would communicate through the very narrow lens of what their Instagram account or something. But video, you watch a video of an of an architect speaking for just a few minutes, and you feel like you've known them your whole life. It's pretty it's pretty crazy, yeah. um, you know, phenomenon really. I think that. I mean, that, that's such a massive part of it. I mean, a video, a, a video, a short video, to say, say, for instance, three minutes long, is a self-contained narrative that isn't going to get broken up. So when you do a set of pictures, they tell a story, but they also get broken up. So one picture will go on the Instagram, one picture will be on the front cover of a magazine, five pictures will be on this website, and the, the story slightly gets fragmented. But with a video, it can't. It's, a self, it's one file that contains yeah. that story. And that story might be about process or philosophy of design or about a specific building but stories are infinitely more engaging and more memorable than information and i'm not, I'm not saying that yeah. photography doesn't do stories because it does stories brilliantly and beautifully but a film is probably our you know is is one of the most accessible ways of, of telling a story and there's all these statistics about how, how much people retain stories mm. from videos more than they do from text um if they're viewing stuff online and, and things like yeah. that so yeah, I think it's a really, I just, I'm obviously I'm really biased, but I do think it's a really good way to, to get across, you know, some of the more in-depth ideas yeah. that you, you might have when you're designing and people will buy into that and people are interested in, in hearing that stuff. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, one, one little marketing um, technique that I've seen clients use to um, amazing effect is just remembering to actually allow people into the building in some way if you can you know um we're not yeah. talking about film or anything but maybe an open house uh series yeah, of tours yeah. participating in a in an event where they open up architecture for the weekend that sort of thing because seeing it seeing it in, in an image or online is one thing but going to it is is really where you get the real wow factor oh, I mean, and it's, it, yeah it's brilliant you can't you can't replace I, i'm a photographer and a filmmaker well, you do it all, you, can, you have like the most awesome job in the world right like i mean you get to <laughs> you get to go and visit architecture that nobody else ever gets to go and see or visit this part I mean, of the work brilliant. a lot of the time yeah it's brilliant I love it, but I, I can't. I can't replace that with my images and my film. I can't come close to replacing the feeling of going into a great building, and because it's a sensory experience. And you know, video can do a lot of that. 
and can and can give and can help the viewer build up that cinematic space in their mind of of what it might like might be like to be there and so can photographs but you can't replace that feeling um so yeah open i think architects should be doing tours of their buildings that's yeah uh, such a powerful way to to get across what why your work should be valued but i i get the feeling that video is as close as you can get without leaving your sofa you know <laughs> in terms of <laughs> in terms of these really beautiful elegant films that are made about a project i mean where there's that you can hear that sound and you can kind of get that feeling of what it's like those kind of quiet moments and uh, it's just you know it get it very very close to that experience i think there's a bit more feeling i mean you mentioned that thing about retaining that story sort of in a few minutes getting so much more information from it um so much maybe so much more feeling too um in terms of that impression of the space but interested in sort of why video is kind of emerging now um or, or we're starting to see more of it is it it's probably a couple of things, right? I mean, we would have traditionally thought that, you know, if getting still photography costs X, getting a film made costs 10X, <laughs> you know, that was, <laughs> that was kind of always a bit of a perception around it. And sometimes, you know, when there wasn't architectural film makers, they, they weren't as present. There was this sense of, well, who do we speak to? Let's put film production company into Google and we get a quote for 25,000 pounds or something like that, you know, because yeah. it's uh, the companies that were out there offering filmmaking are like they bring a crew <laughs> in a truck. Yeah. <laughs> like, so there's this sort of like nimble more, I, I don't know, how would you just, how would you describe, I guess, what, what videography is, is like more of a state of the art of like where filmmaking kind of is right now from, from the, in the architecture world i mean the technology is a massive thing like as much as i would like to say uh i would i'd like to give as little credit to cameras as i can because i'm not a, i'm not a big gadget person but the technology is the biggest thing it's so accessible now to do to do video most if most photographers are shooting digital now and most of their cameras will, will do some type of moving image and your phone even like does beautiful moving images so um that's made it so much more accessible and like you said it's so much more agile now so i don't need a full crew like my ideal situation is that i will work with it'll be me and uh ideally sophia will be with me uh, we work together on a lot of films and she's more on the storytelling basis um and i would love uh simon who's the sound person i work with a lot to be there um and we'd have an assistant that'd be lovely but really to be honest um quite often it's just me or me and Sophia doing it, and it, it's much more agile. The equipment that we're using, you know, is is pretty much the same equipment that I would use for a stills shoot, uh, except you're adding sound to it and a yeah. bit of movement. So I have a small track that helps the camera move and things. But it's not like it, it's not. I'm not turning up with a truckload of stuff. Uh, it's very light. It's and it's very accessible, which means that it's not that expensive because you're not having to pay 20 people on a whole film crew to come and do something. So I think that's partly why it's become more popular because it is within reach of even smaller practices. You know, do, me doing a film about, um, you know, a small project, a house extension or something like that isn't that much more expensive than me photographing it as well. There's a little bit more work involved in terms of storytelling and sound and interviewing uh, if we do interviews but it's not excessive it's not like 10 times the fee yeah. that it was before it's it's a lot 
it's a lot more within reach now. Um, so I think we've, I think that's part of it. And a big part is is now we have the outlets for it. And, you know, now we can with four. You know, uh, even without wireless, even without Wi-Fi, I can watch a video on my phone with four G. Yeah. You know, so the technology is allowing us to make films, but also allowing us to watch films a bit more readily now as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. And and even picking on that comment um, about, you know, mentioning that Dazeen in in one example would publish a film or publish a video on their YouTube channel. And I've seen that with my clients when they've commissioned films, like the film gets published and no one really saw yeah. that coming because right? <laughs> there's this idea that like, well, that's just going to, you know, go on our website or something. But it's, I think like, it's still so uncommon to see film about architecture. It's not nearly as ubiquitous as still photography that it feels like there's, and there's so much demand for it. And there are platforms that are really looking and desperately looking for good content as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Hey, I think people, you know, I, I get messages from friends who work in, the journalism side of things saying have you got any new films like we we, yeah. we, we want we need some moving image for the website right. we're so trying to get our tiktok it. followers up yeah, <laughs> we, need, exactly. we need something yeah <laughs> so people are really welcoming of it and, and really want to see video um uh, and, but then also i think you're right you don't see we don't see architecture in video a lot um, on TV, you know, and if mm. we do, it tends to be like grand designs or something like that, which mm. is fine. But, you know, it's not an in-depth look at something. It's more of a kind of reality TV kind of thing. Um, there's a really great website, by the way, called Shelter. Do you know Shelter.tv? No, it's I streaming. It's, it's Australian-based, I think. Oh, my goodness. I might have okay. just made a horrible, horrible mistake, <laughs> and it might be based in New Zealand. Um, so oh, apologies. That's... Nah, that'll, that'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, it's a streaming service that only you pay a monthly subscription. It's like Netflix, but for architecture and design. It's brilliant, what? by the way. It's really, really, really good. Oh, my goodness. How old, have I not heard of this? Check it out. It's shelter.tv or shelterstream yep. or something like that. Something like that, yep. It's great. So, and I've got like, you know, for instance, I did a film with Piers Taylor called Practice. That's that design ran that the architects journal ran it design boom ran it. So between that, you're talking about you're talking about 200,000, 250,000 views. Yeah. Like, so a quarter of a million people watched it on that. It's on shelter. So it's getting monthly views on shelter. Um, it's run at like nine or 10 different film festivals in different parts of the world. And it exists on my Vimeo and still continues to rack up views. Yeah. So, you know, and that's from one film, which is, you know, and it's just kind of audience figures that you you know and we did an online premiere of it and we did an in-person screening of it in london so there's loads of stuff you can do with it um and there's a great there's an audience for it people want to see it people are interested i think in it yeah it's it's sort of interesting kind of there is like the way architecture is shown in film there is that kind of grand designs sort of side of it and there's also um a bit of um there's a lot of of YouTube channels, Vimeo, not so much Vimeo, but a lot of YouTube channels that explore high-end architecture or or, or, or or buildings, right, through a much more kind of uh, like a tour of the project where there is a presenter. Yeah. It's this more sort of like traditional kind of thing. Um, it tends to have a much more like handheld kind of moving around the house approach. 
Um, whereas then there's the sort of architectural filmmaking, which is much more, you know, kind of set on the tripod with maybe a very bit of slow movement. It, it has this, the pacing is completely different. We don't have a yeah. presenter. We hear like disembodied architect voices. <laughs> like maybe I'm, maybe I'm painting a bit of a cliche there, but, but like <laughs> there's, there is kind of, I don't know, I'd be interested in your thoughts on kind of like the differences in those kind of two styles. And I guess where, where do those, where have those kind of emerged from this idea that there's kind of as always like architecture, then there's kind of property or, or, or whatever, but those, there are some blurriness and crossover, but there tends yeah. to be these kind of two camps that have emerged a little bit. I think there is, I, th I think one's kind of more personality based, um, where you're buying into the presenter. Yeah. Um, Tarek Merlin is a really great example of that. He's, his TikTok channel is brilliant and he does a lot of tours of, of buildings, but the, the reason why he's, TikTok is particularly interesting is that they're not like six million pound mansions. They're interesting buildings that you could probably go and visit, but he's just showing you a little behind the scenes thing of them. So, he, and, and he's got, he's really good at presenting. So he's very good at that. And that's kind of one thing. And I, I really love that. I, I know Tarek fairly well. And we talked when we were start when he was starting out to do them about, um, he was just asking for any tips on the sort of practicalities of filming. That's not the way that I film. So he works mm. with somebody else on that. who does a brilliant, beautiful job on it. Uh, I think I probably sit more in the other camp where, um, I always think my work is aiming to be more akin to kind of, then there's a Netflix show called chef's table, which I think is great. Mm. Like a, mm. quite a slow documentary. It's, it's definitely, um, yeah, it's definitely a bit slower, a bit calmer, and it's a bit more reflective. So you'll have longer shots where you don't hear anybody's voice, and we're not being—you know—the camera's not waving around all over the place. It's, yeah, it's just quick very whips. slowly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but instead, it's just very slowly yeah. look, taking the space in. So it's a yes. bit more kind of contemplative, I suppose. But, but my—you know—the thing that I've been at trying to really refine over the last couple of years, in particular, is is the storytelling aspect of it. Because what I'm not what I'm not doing is doing a building tour. Um, yeah. And we can talk. Uh, I talk with clients about doing that, and sometimes I do them. But most of my films aren't building tours; they're just films about buildings. And there is a big difference there. Yeah. My, the, the, what I'm trying to do is tell a story, or you know, the story of that building, if it is about a building, tell a story about that building in in such a way that um, you don't feel like you've been shown around the building, but you feel like you've built up enough information to kind of build an idea in your head of what it's like to be there there's a there's a writer at pixar or generally the writers at pixar use this phrase where they say never give the audience four give them two plus two and let them work it out because then they feel like they've invested in it and they've added they've the audience has had to think about it a little bit more and it sticks with them so much longer so you never give them four you give them two plus two and in my films i'm sort of trying to work on that basis that i'm trying to give the audience information and that could be through sound it could be through interview it could be through visuals I'm trying to give that information to kind of build up in their heads what it's like to be there and there's a really great book actually by john york which is somewhere around me it's called Into the Woods by John York, which is a history of how we tell stories. And you realise that storytelling hasn't changed since the Greek poets up to today. The, the subjects and the topics have changed, but the structure of story hasn't mm. changed at all. Um, and I, that's what I've been trying to refine a lot, um, to try and make these stories that sort of stick a little bit better in people's heads. Well, yeah, it's very interesting because, I mean, a guest that I've had on the podcast before was um, another filmmaker, Anthony Richardson, who has a YouTube account. Mm account called the designer motive and yeah. he 
he also, his style is also that kind of slower, those moments in the project, like finding those really special like parts of the, of the work. And it's that storytelling, but you know, you look at the, the, the bloody YouTube comments and there's sometimes there is that kind of a little bit of a whinging around. I don't really like understand how these spaces necessarily like show, like just show, show me around the house kind of like thing. But, yeah. but you know, but you, but you're looking at it from this perspective of, you know what, if you actually are challenging the audience a bit more to have to kind of put it together to understand that story a little bit better then it's more, re- it's a more rewarding experience to actually not just give it to them like that. You know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the audience shouldn't feel like they're being challenged. I think yeah. they should, it shouldn't feel like it's a slog or that you're yeah. being asked to do a lot of work, but the audience should also feel like they can imagine something right, yeah. themselves from it uh, and I, I've had those comments before like oh show us a set of floor plans and it's like well, I'm not I'm <laughs> yeah. not grand designs like yeah exactly, uh, um, well, exactly why do you need a set of floor plans you just need yeah. a set of floor plans because you think you do like yes. you don't need a set of floor plans you've I've, I've shown you uh, I, anyway I, I get a bit ranty about that but I, I think floor plans are information they're not a story and yeah. and that's really what we're trying to do is, is try and engage with stories um yeah, you, you don't watch a film about uh, a single character and moan that you didn't see their family tree. You know, <laughs> exactly. Like no. I, well, I think for the audience, and if we're talking like about the sort of regular people that not you know not the not the other architects, but like the the mainstream general audience, um, you know, they have been shown architecture in a certain way with a certain formula through TV for for a while, and um, you know they're watching the video going, "When's the 3D animation going to start?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of thing. Um, and so so you know, again, like you mentioned, you're not you're not just challenging them for the sake of it, but there is like a little bit of maybe. Um, maybe it's a shift away from that. It's a little, it's a different kind of way like of, of showing architecture and, and, yeah. and, sh- and talking about what architecture is. I, I, I definitely think that we can find a different way to talk about it. And that's not to run down the existing ways. I mean, shows like yeah. Grand Designs are so popular. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a reason for it because people are interested in that process, but also they're, they're, they're reality TV and people are interested in watching things go wrong and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, so one of the biggest documentaries from the last couple of years was My Octopus Teacher. And I had friends from outside of the filmmaking world saying to me, oh, have you seen this documentary? My Octopus Teacher is it's amazing. You know, and there's a great um, episode of Gogglebox where they're all sitting around watching it, which is a great, I don't know if, <laughs> yeah, if that yeah, show Yeah, we've yeah. Um, where people are sitting around watching it and, you know, documentary kind of has this idea that or there's this idea that documentaries are only watched by you know pseudo intellectuals but they're not like they're so engaging and everybody's yeah. watching you know david attenborough or something like that but in my octopus teacher you get such a tiny bit of information there's hardly any information in that at all about octopuses and what they do and why they do it and about the guy about the central figure or the two central figures but about the human person you you get a tiny bit of information. You hear that something's happened in his life that he's had to take a break from, but you don't hear what. You don't hear from his family very much. You don't hear from, you know, you know, a lot of, you, you get a tiny, tiny amounts of information. And I think um, we don't realise that actually when we watch films, whether they be fiction or non-fiction, the amount of information you get is tiny. Mm. Most of it's in your head. You've made it all up in your head. And that's mm. the beauty of it. That's the engaging part of it. And I'm not saying that, you know, we do that with architecture, but maybe we could... 
at least look at that or venture towards that a little bit more that the idea that um we don't have to we don't have to give everybody floor plans to help them understand why the building exists you know we, we've been talking about kind of that storytelling around the project and, and, and maybe films that are kind of focusing on the project a little bit more. But, you know, I think about the architects I work with and this idea of being profiled or being on camera, uh, so to speak, um, terrifying for quite a lot of architects, you know, <laughs> they, um, they, they prefer to kind of, you know, be a little bit more behind the scenes. So it's sort of in the shadows. Um, be interested in kind of get touching a little bit on that, I guess, firstly, I, I guess the rationale behind being interviewed or being profiled, right, um, and all the benefits of that, but but also how to kind of think about that in a way that isn't going to um, <laughs> bring up that kind of discomfort of am I showing off? Am I am, am yeah. I being that, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's a really common thing. I think, first of all, I... I think don't feel like you have to be the face of everything. Like, you know, if you're not comfortable being in front of the camera, then maybe just don't be in front of the camera. Like don't, yeah. don't be interviewed. Maybe we just hear your voice. Uh, that can sometimes be problematic because you do sound like this disembodied kind of like <laughs> voice talking about something, yeah. but maybe ask instead of it being the architect's, talking about it maybe it could be the end user or a member yep. of the public that visits the building or the homeowner that, that you've designed a house for maybe it could be somebody else in your design team if you've got a bigger practice um so i, I think just just because your name's above the door doesn't mean you have to be the face of everything uh, and sometimes it you know sometimes you know those directors are, are great at it but sometimes they're not and sometimes i don't think you should be feel like you i don't think you should feel like you have to be in front of the camera because there's other ways to tell that story and and that could like i said that could be through a third party or somebody else in the design team or the end user so uh, and I, and then i think in terms of sort of feeling like you're showing off i mean that's so difficult isn't it, it it's such a um tricky balance to strike and i think the big biggest thing is if you are being interviewed and you're up for it being interviewed don't write a script because the way that you write your script is you you, you don't write in the same way that you talk all of the and don't be too self-conscious about ums and ahs and things like that because all of those pauses and those ums and ahs are what makes you human and makes you sound like you're not um some sort of super slick ted talk presenter kind of thing you know uh and that'll help just humanize you a little bit and 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 make you feel a little less sort of uh you know come across or alleviate those risks of coming across as a bit arrogant or a bit showing off um i mean most people don't i think i think if you're passionate about something and you are if you're an architect you're usually you're passionate about your work that just comes across really well anyway and it's not showing off but i also would say is if, you, if we're doing like a you know a, a video that's supposed to be three minutes long be prepared to be interviewed for 30 minutes yeah. and then and then cut it down to three minutes rather than feeling like you've got to be on point scripted soundbite in three minutes um, and that way you'll get something much more relaxed and quite often you'll get all of the content you need in the last 10 minutes because by that point you've relaxed with the camera being there you're relaxed with the discussion that you're having with the interviewer whether they be on camera or off camera and that's where you get all the best bits um because everything's a bit more informal then and a bit more conversational and a bit less scripty and soundbitey yeah that's why everyone listening to our podcast has to make it past the first 30 minutes of every episode where the where the good stuff happens it starts to get <laughs> chatty it's the same with the interview right when you're going into an interview um you know uh, I, i'm guessing you're you're the, you're 
kind of prompting um, that architect or that end user or that mm. member of the public, um, do you do you tend to go in fairly pre- like? Do you are you a big prepper in terms of you know specific questions and and things like that going into it? Do you have like a a pre like scouting conversation with the um, with your subject you know prior to or or how do you how do you like to walk into those things to get an the outcome that you're looking for? I mean that's where working with Sophia is really important because her background and her education is in is in writing, so she's she knows storytelling much better than I do. Um, so that's really important. But what we do is we have a meeting with the normally over Zoom with the architect beforehand, and we talk about what the key uh, areas, what the key stories are that they want to tell. Because I always, we always say to them, you know, every building, every like the tiniest building up to the biggest building, you could you could do like a two-hour feature-length documentary on it, or a six-part, you know, BBC series on it easily. But we're talking most of the time, we're talking about making a five-minute video. Yeah. So we have to narrow that story down a little bit. So we have that discussion over Zoom. And then Safari and I write up these notes that are kind of a, a story out, a rough story outline. So by the time we get to, and we send them to the architect and we do a back and forth until everybody's kind of happy with them. So by the time we go to the interview, we've got a plan. But we always say we've got a plan, but we've, we're prepared to for that plan to go in a different direction if it has to because sometimes you're doing the interview and something comes up that didn't come up in the prep and you're like oh that's a great thing let's talk a bit more about that so we go in well researched and with a bit of a plan uh, but we always are open for a bit of a, a bit of we call our treat we write a treatment which is you know a single page of a4 that outlines a story but we call them baggy treatments they're baggy enough to accommodate uh, you know a bit of wiggle room if if, if something else comes up that's very interesting, Jim. We're we're hitting the end of our scheduled time, and I I, I could keep on kind of probing you about <laughs> you know your process and what you do forever, but maybe we'll have to save other uh, other topics for another episode in the future sometime. But I really yeah. really appreciate you coming on and sharing so being an open book with all of this stuff um, for everybody listening. So thank you so much. Uh, well, thank you for inviting us. It's a real pleasure to get to talk with you about this and I know I went off a bit then but um, hopefully it's been useful to some of the audience as well that was my conversation with Jim Stevenson if you'd like to learn more about Jim and his work you can visit clickclickjim.com and follow him on Instagram at clickclickjim before you go make sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear all of the amazing guests I've got coming up on the show That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.